0: dot com. the energy so the barber trims my beard all nice like an artist now I didn't tell him to do that I wanted the beard gone so then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done I felt horrible the passion Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history he needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team the opinions on all your favorite teams Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday here on the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Short show today. We got 40 minutes. We're up until 6:10, 5:30 until 6:10, and then we bring you Red Sox baseball. Sox taking on the Cardinals, start of a weekend series at Fenway. Return of the Big Maple tonight. James Paxton called the Big Maple because he hails from Canada. It's also quite a large human. So first pitch there is 7:10. It'll be Paxton's first start since 2021. As someone who watched him for a number of years with the Mariners, I'm rooting for him. I fear. That he's not going to be great in this run for the Red Sox. But again, I've been wrong before. I hope I'm wrong again. I like Paxton. I think if he's good, it would be a huge boost to this team. You can get in as always on the text line, 802-585-3026. And, uh, again, we go up until 610 today.
1: Five,
0: four, three, two, one. And here we The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I want to give the Boston Celtics credit. I want to give the Celtics credit for a couple of different things. Yesterday was obviously not perfect. We know about Jason Tatum's struggles. We'll get to that momentarily. But the Celtics did win. They won on the road. By the end of the show yesterday, I had predicted them to win, but I was worried that they could have wilted in that game. They didn't. Philly made a couple of runs. The Celtics still withheld their ground and end up finishing the deal. They win the game, 95-86, Game 7, coming up on Sunday. We don't know what time yet, but we know it will be at TD Garden. I'm going to give the Celtics credit for the following. The things that we have asked of them and or the things that we have criticized them for, they largely got done yesterday. I asked the Celtics yesterday to come out and have a commitment to defense. I said the Celtics could not win this game if it was 128-126. to This game was played like a 1980s playoff game, 95-86. When the game is played that low, I trust the Celtics to win. They didn't need to only allow Philly 86 points, but that's what they accomplished, and that was great to see. It was a return to Celtics defense. We know that under Joe Mazzula, the team is more offensively minded than it was under Ime Udoka. Okay, You can have your preference of what you like better, but in the playoffs, you need defense. And we hadn't seen it enough from this group. We saw it yesterday. So we asked for them to come out committed to defense. They did. They were. Check. I asked for the Celtics to get off to a good start. Well, Jason Tatum got off to a terrible start. The Celtics themselves had a seven-point lead at the end of the first quarter. Now, they had a huge lead to start, right? They're up 15-3. to They let Philly back in the game. But they pull away once again at the end of the first quarter. And they show Philly, you know what? It's not going to be easy for you tonight. And that's what I asked. I didn't want to see the Celtics down 12 at the end of one because then I think they would have wilted. But they get up big early. They end the first quarter up seven, and they at least send the message to Philly, okay, we are here to play. It is not going to just be you at home with the crowd taking momentum. Number three, we have criticized the Celtics for not having a killer instinct. I have criticized the Celtics for Jason Tatum not having a killer instinct, and yesterday he did. Jason Tatum was horrific. First three quarters of that game, right? Three points. Didn't have a field goal. At one point through three quarters, right? Didn't have a field goal until the fourth quarter. Jason Tatum was awful. No. He had three points going into the fourth quarter. He got the, the uh, kind of the little runner there at the start of the third quarter. Three points going into the fourth quarter. He was horrific. But he showed the killer instinct when he needed to. And he showed something that frankly we haven't seen of for a bit here. I have said, closing time, I want Jalen Brown with the ball in his hand. Jason Tatum had the ball in his hands, hit four threes in the, in the fourth quarter. He scored 16 points in the fourth. He outscored the Sixers team. Sixers scored 13 points in the fourth quarter. Jason Tatum had 16. Yesterday, he was a closer. And you have to give him credit for that. You have to give him credit for being a closer. You have to give him credit for sticking with it. It is not easy. Right When you are playing poorly, it is easy for that to snowball on you. When you have habitually played poorly in this series, it is easy for it to snowball on you. It is easy for you to not want the ball. It is easy for you to defer. It is easy for you to shy away in the fourth quarter. Jason Tatum didn't do that. He made the right plays and gave it up when he hit, when he needed to, but he also took shots when he needed to, and he kept shooting. Nobody wants to see their line at any point reading, you know, 1 for 14 or 0 oh for 11. But Jason Tatum, credit to him that he stayed in the game, he stayed engaged, he found other ways to be involved while he wasn't scoring, and then when it came time for clutch time, when it came time for finishing time, Jason Tatum was there. He deserves a lot of credit for that. You can't pull that rabbit out of your hat every game. At some point, Jason Tatum's going to have to be the Jason Tatum that can get you a bucket at will. 30 points, 40 points, 47 points, something like that. But last night, he gets a lot of credit. And I also give credit to his teammates because his teammates, Stuck by him as well. It would have been easy for them to splinter, it would have been easy for them to phase him out, it would have been easy for them to not give him the ball, it would have been easy for them to try to do too much. They just kept trusting him. And that's important too. Jalen Brown, after the game, talked about what he said to Tatum.
1: Uh no, I said some stuff to him, you know. Uh keep going, I believe in you. You know, uh whoever was on I told him they can't guard you, stop being apprehensive and just go. You know, and, you know, if you ask him, he'll probably say that's just exactly how I drew it up. right. But um, it don't got to be pretty. You just got to get it done.
0: I mean, Marcus Smart said something similar. Joe Mazzula said, I went up to him, I told him I loved him. That's a team, right? That's a team. And that was good to see and that was good to hear. Celtics deserve a lot of credit. I like to think that I'm fair. I criticized them after the loss against Atlanta. I criticized them after the loss in Game 5. When there's praise to be had, I like to think I give it to them, and they deserve it today. Came out, defensive mindset, 13 points in the fourth quarter. They finished it defensively as well, 86 points total. Phenomenal. Tatum stuck with it. Credit to him. His teammates stuck beside him. Credit to them. They started out well. And the other thing I asked for is I asked for other guys to do things, right? It couldn't just be the Tatum and Brown show. And there was Marcus Smart with a team-high 22. There was Malcolm Brogdon with 16 off the bench, including four threes. And there was Robert Williams starting, playing more minutes than usual, 28 minutes, getting 10 points instead of four, getting nine rebounds, blocking shots, altering shots in the lane, changing the way Philly did things offensively. Celtics did what exactly we asked them to do. They deserve to be rewarded for that. And now as a result, I think they're going to win game seven. I do. I just can't see this team dropping a third game at home. I can't. I can't see the Celtics who can, who showed us that they can play that defense allowing 110 points again to Philly. I can't see James Harden Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey all going off. One of them, sure. I can't see three of them going off. The Celtics showed us that they can play elite-level defense. I think we're going to see it on Sunday. I think the Celtics are going to win this series. I think they're going to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals. And then I think they'll probably play Miami, who they played last year in the Houston Conference Finals, and I just think they're better than Miami, and I think they're going to get back to the NBA Finals. That's how quickly here, that's how goofy the Celtics are, that one day you think they're dead, and the next day I've got them penciled into the Finals. It's not always pretty. It's not always effective. But I think they're going to get the job done. 802-585-3026. Your thoughts on the Celtics. A lot of good. There was something... Very weird, though, after the game. Did you hear about what Marcus Smart said about Joe Missoula. After the game, Marcus Smart was asked about Missoula starting Robert Williams alongside Al Horford. Here's what Smart said.
1: I was ecstatic about it. You know, um, to be able to have Rob in there, he he changed the game um, a lot. Uh, you know, being able to, to, to have a lot threat. Um, a rim threat to be able to protect the rim on the other end. Um, he's huge for us, and uh, you know I was I was proud to have him on the court. You know, and that just goes to show you know Joe's learning, um, just like all of us. You know, I know he's been killed a lot, um, rightfully so. You know, he he needs to make some adjustments, and he's did that, and that's all you can ask for. Just continue to be the best he can be, and uh, it takes everybody. It's a full team effort.
0: Marcus Smart says that Joe Missoula has been killed for decision making, adjustments, et cetera, and then he adds. Rightfully so. I don't love that. I was checking out Adam Kaufman, our guy, Celtics insider from WBZ Radio in Boston on Twitter, and I liked what he had to say best. It's not a great comment. It's one that Smart probably may have to apologize for behind closed doors. Overall... The sentiment is probably okay if you listen to the full 32 seconds. I think what Marcus Smart is getting at is accountability, right? We're all accountable. We all have to grow. We all make mistakes. We all learn. We all have to adapt. We all have to evolve. I think at the end, when you piece it all together, it's probably okay because it probably comes from a good place of, hey, Joe got crushed, he deserved it, he learned, he adapted, he's accountable, he moves on, he grows, and that's what we all have to do too. I think that's probably what smart means, but I don't love that stuff publicly to the media. And if I'm Marcus Smart, I'm probably apologizing to Joe Mazzullo, you know behind closed doors today. I think Marcus Smart meant it. It's probably okay that he meant it. You know I'm not a fan of giving that stuff up to the media. Again, as a media person... I love it because of the fodder. I love it because it gives us stuff to talk about. But as a fan of the team, I do not like distractions. I do not like controversy. I do not like throwing people under the bus. And I do not like it happening happening publicly. So when Marcus Smart says, he our head coach has been killed rightfully so, that raises eyebrows to me. And then Smart went on to say, this is the one that actually bothers me more, Smart goes on to say that, you know, we're kinda helping Missoula learn here.
1: It's it's different, you know, um, but it it helps us as players because when you think about it in the grand scheme, you know, we're 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 teaching him as well. Um and we're teaching ourselves. We get to learn more about ourselves. We you know, it allows Jason, it allows Jalen, it allows me to be more vocal um on the court and to, to go figure things out and we are doing it together. So um, you know, um it's not gonna be perfect. Joe's not perfect. Um, you know, he was put in a very tough situation this year, and he's doing the best he can, and that's all we can ask for. We're going to continue to go out there and work our tails off for him just like he's going to go out there and continue to work his tail off for us.
0: So that's the comment probably that I don't love more. I think for this year, it's okay. Like, I think that dynamic this year is okay. In the future, I think it presents a problem, and here's what I mean. I think Joe Mazzula right now knows where he's at, right? I'm a first-year head coach. I've never even been a head assistant. My lead assistant, Damon Stoudemire, is gone. Will Hardy, a guy who was on the staff, is now the coach of the Jazz. I think this year, Joe Mazzula is probably okay leaning on guys, right? Learning from guys, asking for help, taking more um, input from guys. I think this year, Joe Missoula is like, hey, let's do this collectively because he understands, has the self-awareness to know where he's at. But in the future, next year, I think Joe Missoula, right, like he's going to come in with a different level of experience, with a different mindset, with a different, you know, tools in his toolbox. And next year I think is different, where I don't think he's going to need the players' input as much, but the players are going to feel like they have the right to give it to him. Does that make sense? 802-585-3026. This year I think Joe Missoula needs the help of everybody. Next year, Joe is not going to need as much help, right? He's going to know, he's going to have an off-season to plan, he's going to have an off-season to prep. He's going to go through the draft. He's going to watch Summer League. He's going to have ideas. He's going to be able to formulate those ideas through the off-season. He's going to be more in tune with the contract stuff. He's going to have more meetings with Brad Stevens. Next year, Joe Mazzula is going to come in with a plan, with an idea, and and knowing and understanding what he wants to do. Next year, he's not going to need the help of his players as much, but I think his players will think, hey, we did it last year. It worked out well. We're going to do it this year. And I don't want to see friction built off that, where Joe Mazzula says something and then Marcus Smart is like, ah, coach, come on, man. Hey, this is how we want to do it. Or Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown are saying, "Ah, nah, nah, we really want, we don't want to call that play, we want to call this play. This play's going to work better. Like the head coach needs to have authority. And this year, I think he's probably rightfully given up some of that authority. But Marcus Smart is telling you that, hey, basically we're teaching him how to coach. And I worry that next year, they're going to feel like the same dynamic exists when it doesn't. The next year, that same dynamic will not exist. I do not think that that is necessarily a great comment for the future. Uh, one future thing, on the Celtics yesterday we talked about Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum being eligible for the Supermax extensions. Could they fit him in? Do they want to fit them both in? Will they both accept? Bobby Marks of ESPN says, yes, it is possible to pay out the $613 million total. You can you can do it, and you won't feel the teeth of this CBA. I think it gets a little more complicated when, when Tatum um, kicks in in two thousand. 25 26 I always say that you know the worst thing you can do is you just pivot right You do what Utah did with Mitchell and Gobert is that at the end of the day you sign these players um you know if, if things don't work out and you feel like you have to kind of move off one of the other they're still going to have tremendous value i mean both i think mean, one's 25 the other's are 26 yeah i think i think that's the smart way of thinking about it and i hadn't thought about that necessarily before i think the Celtics absolutely should offer both of them the contracts I hope that they both accept. I'm, I know Tatum will. Brown is a little more of a question mark. I imagine he will as well. Again, I don't know that everything is going to be hunky dory once he does that. I still think he has issues, city, organization, etc. And if, but it's still worth it. And if you can't make it work, then yeah, you do what Utah did. And look, the Jazz got a zillion picks, first round picks for Rudy Gobert from Minnesota. And both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are better than Ruby, are are more valuable than Rudy Gobert. They got a bunch of stuff for Donovan Mitchell. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are in the Donovan Mitchell vein. I would say Brown a little less valuable than Mitchell, Tatum a little more valuable than Mitchell. So, you, you offer them both, you try to sign them both, you try to make it work with both, and if it doesn't, understand that you can always get out of it, probably fairly easily, Provided these guys aren't hurt, you can get out of these contracts fairly easily by going to get picks. It's the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. The Patriots' schedule is out. We'll recap it in 60 seconds on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We're 20 minutes away from Red Sox baseball. Sox will take on the Cardinals tonight. That's going up at 7:10. James Paxton is on the mound. Uh, Patriots' schedule came out yesterday. And I will say this. I think the Patriots got a relatively good draw for their schedule. Their schedule is hard. They have... The, the My opponent win percentage from last year, the third-hardest schedule in football. So no matter where you turn, they're going to be playing hard teams. That said, I think the sequencing of games actually is pretty fair to them. It's given them a reasonable path to navigate this schedule. I mean, look, let's just look at it. Now, I'm not going to do a whole win-loss thing. I don't believe in going through 17 games in May and tell you, oh, they're going to win this one, they're going to win that one. I think the Patriots are between a 7-win and a 9-win team. I saw Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston think they're going to win 12. I saw Adam Kaufman say he thinks they're going to win 10. I am not that bullish on this team. I think they are between a 7- and a 9-win team. A lot of it depends on injuries, injuries to themselves, injuries to their opponents. But the sequencing of the schedule is fair. One, week one at home against Philly. Philly's better than them. I would say Philly's gonna win that game. But, if you're gonna play, if you're gonna have that game, week one is a good time to have it, right? You get four months for Bill Belichick to prepare for Jalen Hurts. You get an Eagles team that, look, every team is different in September than they are in November. You get an Eagles team with a bunch of new pieces, a bunch of early draft picks that aren't quite assimilated yet that have never played a game. If you're gonna play the Eagles, play them early, before they are who they ultimately morph into, and also play them at home with the emotion of the crowd, with Tom Brady coming back. That's about as good a situation as you can have to play the reigning NFC champions. I like that in the sequence. Week two, you're home again. You take on Miami. It's a night game. I think Miami is probably just as good or better than New England. I lean better, but you get them at night. Night game, prime time. How is Tua in prime time? How are the Dolphins in prime time? How is Mike McDaniel in prime time here? You get a prime time game. Again, you've got the crowd in your favor in a big way Sunday night. That, I think, works in the Patriots' favor. Then you go to the Jets. I I would imagine that's a loss. Take it on Aaron Rodgers on the road. Jets have a hard schedule. They're looking at the Patriots and saying, that's our biggest winnable game early. So I think that's tough. Then you go to Dallas. I think that's tough. Then you come back, you take on the Saints. Saints aren't as good. whole NFC South is not as good. It's a winnable game. I like Derek Carr. Saints have some good pieces, but it's a winnable game. Then you go to Vegas. Winnable game again. Vegas is fine, but you know Jimmy Garoppolo. You know Josh McDaniels. That's two winnable games back-to-back. Then you get Buffalo. Very hard game. Then you go to Miami Week 8. Why do I like this matchup? You're not going to to South Beach in December when the Patriots have notoriously struggled. Two division games back-to-back is hard. I'm a fan of not playing Miami in December. Then you get two winnable games in a row, Washington and Indy. The Indy game is in Germany. That's two winnable games there before the bye. You come out of the bye, winnable game against the Giants. I know they made the playoffs last year. I'm not a huge fan of Daniel Jones at forty million dollars. I don't know what the Giants are gonna have around them this year. Chargers, tough game, luckily, at home. Then you take on Pittsburgh on a short week on a Thursday, very tough game. But you get an extra day to prepare you get it you get an extra long time to prepare for a Monday game against Kansas City. If there's ever a time to face Kansas City, face them at home and face them off of what is the mini buy plus one. Thursday against Pittsburgh, extra time to prepare after that, extra time to recover, and then an extra day on top of it to take on KC. And then the end of the schedule I think is brutal. You're at Denver on Christmas Eve, that's a weird week. You're at Buffalo on New Year's Eve, and then you're home to finish out against the Jets. I think the Patriots have a hard first two weeks early against teams that went to the playoffs. Playoff teams in three of the first four weeks when you include Dallas. End of the season. At Denver, at Buffalo, home for the Jets who might be in playoff contention, I think it's tough, but the middle of the schedule, there's some easy stuff, easier stuff to navigate there, and there's a couple of pockets where I think you gained a scheduling advantage. That's what I would say. Um, with the way the schedule is sequenced, there's more winnable games in there than I would have thought, right? Like I'm glad you're getting the Chiefs on a long week to prepare. You get the Giants, who I think you're kind of even with, coming off a bye. Extra time to prepare. We know how good Belichick is off a bye. That's good. Um, What is interesting is kind of where the Patriots are at in the national landscape. The Patriots are irrelevant is the wrong word, but the Patriots are not the draw clearly. That they have been in the past. They're clearly not the draw they've been in the past. You look at the primetime games, right? Everybody gets a Thursday game. So them playing Pittsburgh on national TV means nothing for me. Every team gets a primetime game on Thursday. They're getting sent to Germany. Okay, That, that doesn't make them highly coveted. By the networks, it just meant it was their time to go overseas and they have the agreement in Germany. The Patriots really got three primetime standalone games, which is not nothing, but in the Tom Brady era we're talking about five. I think the Bills have seven standalone games this year. Patriots got Monday against KC, Sunday against Miami, and the Christmas Eve night game against Denver. And that's gonna be that's gonna be a big one. Okay, that's a big game on the road at Denver. I'll be very fascinated about that one because I'll be very fascinated about that one because I think Denver's a very interesting team to watch. They were bad last year. Russ was bad last year. But when you have Sean Payton come in, I, I just think Russ is going to be better this year. I just think Russ is going to be better than this year. I think that, that Denver's going to be better this year. Um, here's the kind of the next steps. Here's where we're at right now in the football schedule. So we've had free agency. We've had the draft. Now we've had the schedule release. Patriots have rookie mini camp going on today. First look at the rookies in Foxborough. And then we're going to have more OTAs, or we're going to have OTAs, and then we'll be off to training camp, and it'll be time to do the damn thing again. There truly is now almost no downtime in the NFL schedule. We will do our best to continue to cover the Celtics and their run and cover the Red Sox and also bring you the Patriots news that is out there. But – uh Patriots news will be a little lighter. We'll get to OTAs and we'll have stuff, but, you know, a little lighter. But there truly is no ever actual downtime in the NFL schedule. It is the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Texter says, Brady, if there's one game could you could go to in Foxborough, what would it be? Well, I'd love to see the Tom Brady ceremony week one, but that's such a hard matchup with the Eagles. I'd like to go where I can see them win, I'd probably like to see them play the Chargers. Now, that's a game December 3rd. It won't be super cold just yet. I want to see Herbert, West Coast team coming east. I think it'll be a fascinating matchup. That's kind of the game that I would want. That's kind of the game that I would want. Uh That's the kind of the game that I would want to go watch, I should say. Uh If I could go see a game on the road, I don't have much of an interest in Germany. I'd probably want to go to the Denver game on Christmas Eve. I mean... I'd hate to give up my Christmas Eve, but Denver, December. And by the way, for the Pats, that's tough. Two cold weather trips in back to back weeks, Denver and Buffalo. That that is gonna be hard. Um Maybe Dallas. Yeah, maybe Dallas. But I think the Denver game on Christmas Eve would be pretty uh be pretty appealing. All right. We will step aside. We'll get the national news update from CBS News. We will come back. We'll get you ready for the Red Sox as they take on the Cardinals. I'll give you the lineups for the for the Sox as they look to start off the series on the right foot against a really struggling Cardinals team. Hard to believe how far they have fallen this year. My expectations for James Paxton, they're not particularly high. I'll tell you what I want to see, though, for Paxton, what I'm going to be watching for. We'll get to that next here on WDEV AM and FM want brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day text in at 802-585-3026 now it's back to the brady farkas show on wdev am fm and wdev radio.com welcome back in brady farkas show right here on wdev am and fm wdev radio.com Kyle says, gotta see the Steelers, Brady. That would be the one that you'd want to see. Go live a little. Live a little by going to Pittsburgh? I thought going to Denver on Christmas Eve would have been living a little bit. Like, I thought that would have been a good game to go see. I, you know, yeah, the see, Patriots and Steelers played each other all the time for a while. So did the Patriots in Denver, but, Russ has had good success against the Patriots. I think that would be a good game. I think Denver, Colorado, Christmas time, snow, mountains, et cetera, skiing. I think that would be a good environment. And Pittsburgh? You're telling me that's the most desirable trip on the Patriots' schedule? Miami would be more desirable. Germany would be more desirable. Vegas would be more desirable. Dallas would be more desirable. Pittsburgh might be one of the games I want to go to least on the Patriots' schedule. The Jets would be one. I have no desire to go to New York. Giants then, too, is the same result. Pittsburgh three. I mean, my goodness. I, you're giving me Pittsburgh is the best game to go see on the Patriots schedule uh on, on the road? No, thank you. James Paxton going to pitch tonight for the Sox, make his Sox debut. I am nervous about what we're going to get. I just, I've seen James Paxton at his best, and I love watching him pitch. That said, he hasn't really pitched in four years. I have a hard time believing he's going to come in and be a huge difference maker. I hope that I am wrong. When James Paxton, here's what I want to see. When James Paxton is at his best, the velocity is 95 to 97. He's not afraid to go on the inner half and just dot the inner half. He's got a spiked curveball that he'll throw and get you to chase down in the dirt. And he's got a slider that will bury you on the back foot of a righty. When James Paxton is at his best, that's what he looks like. The fastball is 95 to 97 and in. The slider is coming down on your back foot, and the curveball is in the dirt and you're swinging at it. That's James Paxton at his best. That's vintage Paxton. It was the Paxton that threw a no hitter for the Mariners against Toronto? It was the Paxton that pitched well for the Yankees for a year or two? I don't know if we're gonna get that guy. Does he have the control to do the things that I just that I just said? Will he have the velocity, 95-97, or is it going to be 92-94? is immensely hittable. 97's a lot less hittable. I know the reports on his velocity have been pretty good, but we will see what happens. I hope I'm wrong. Guy hasn't really pitched in four years. 21 innings since 2019. He threw 20 innings in 2020 in the COVID season. He threw one inning in 2021 and hasn't thrown since. Now he's thrown in the minors. He's done rehab stuff, so it's not like he hasn't done anything. I just doubt that it's going to translate perfectly. I doubt it's going to translate perfectly. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I am. The Cardinals won the NL Central last year and are now in last place in it. 13 and 25. The Red Sox are 22 and 16. They're in third. In the AL East. Pitching matchup is Paxton against Adam Wainwright, who's only made one start himself this year, but the uh, longtime Cardinal has an ERA of 7 0 in that one start. Tommy Edmund leads off at second. Paul Goldschmidt's at first, the reigning NL MVP. William Contr- uh, Wilson Contreras is the DH. He's hitting third. Nolan Arenado, the longtime All Star, is at third base. They have a left fielder today by the name of Juan Yepes. He is hitting. 315 in uh, limited action this season. Dylan Carlson's in center. Paul DeYoung is in short. Lars Newtbar is in right. And the catcher is Andrew Neisner. For the Sox, Alex Verdugo in right. Yoshida in left. Justin Turner, the DH. Robbie Devers back at third. Jaron Duran's in center. Tristan Casas at first. Kike Hernandez, the shortstop. And Manuel Valdez at second. And Connor Wong is the catcher. And he bats ninth. I will see you on Monday, everybody. When we're here on Monday, we'll be getting ready for Red Sox Mariners, and I'm sure I will be grumpy as a result of it, and will hopefully not be grumpy about the Celtics. Go Seas, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. Thank you to my mom. I love you, and uh, we'll see you later on DEV.